We are kicking off episode number 10 in the Let's Be Frank video podcast. An exciting night here tonight as we are going to talk some prep recaps. We're also going to preview some of these awesome brackets that we have prepared for you. Coach Monica is going to talk about excessive celebration in sports, a little bit of World Series talk, and he'll talk some goal line offense in our Football 101 segment. We want to go ahead and bring on head coach Frank Monica, and also we're going to have special guest Gordy Rush, fresh off of that massive LSU-Alabama game, which we'll dive into a bit later. But, Coach, uh, an incredible weekend for football for colleges in Louisiana, but you can't go without talking about these brackets that we have set up for us, and we're very excited to have this new system in place. Uh, everybody's excited because everybody rolls back to zero zero as far as their schedule is concerned. But um, let's look at the recap of some of the Week 10 ball games that we talked about, Jason. And we'll go ahead and start our prep talk segment where we'll recap some of these big ball games. Coach, kicking things off, we had St. Charles taking on Newman in the 17 to 13 victory. What were your thoughts on this matchup? Big, big, you know, big build up to it because everybody looked forward to that matchup. They knew that was going to be a, a tight ball game. Uh, two teams that were already uh, one and two in the state as far as power ranking was concerned, and and uh, they showed it on the field. Uh, the game was a tough ball game. I think a, a credit to to what the, what the St. Charles did. They got the ball early, uh, deep in their own territory. They were able to move it and consume most of the first quarter and keep um, the Manning kid off the off the field. Uh, Manning did. Managed to throw two touchdown passes, two deep touchdown passes. But all in all, the St. Charles defense really, really harassed him, put a lot of pressure, made him move his feet. And uh, I think the the they're the very optim, opportunistic as far as offense concerned. And, and St. Charles uh, did a nice job of getting a field goal to make it a two-possession game off of a bad snap on the punt, I might add. Uh, but it was a big, big win. Um, heads up, because this could happen again. Absolutely. With the way the brackets are set up, they fall on either side. Looking at Curtis, who took on Carr. Carr came away with a 38-6 victory. We've mentioned how talented Carr is, and it's kind of become redundant at this point. But to beat a, a talented Curtis team by that score just shows how talented they are. And they're building that momentum heading into the playoffs. Very talented Carr ball club. And Curtis is still John Curtis. So you'll, you'll likely see these two teams uh, make deep runs in the playoffs, maybe even seeing each other as they fall on their same side of the bracket. One thing, uh, Jason, uh, I think the um, same as the quarterback was injured in the game. I don't know about his status and uh, as of today, but he was injured in the game. And when he left the game, they were up uh, big time in that ball game. So, Coach, uh, looking at Jesuit taking on Rummel, Jesuit won 24-14 to 14 in that one. What were your thoughts on that one? Well, the Jesuit just pounded the, the, the big uh, offensive line and, and tight ends and ran right at Rummel and, and – uh, uh, Rumble didn't seem to have a real, real good answer. And uh, even though Rumble made a push at the end and had a deep ball, that was a nice play by the defensive back that, that picked it off and, and, uh, and really knocked, knocked Rumble from the 11th seed to the 15th seed. And uh, with, that one gave them a real, 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 real tough, tough draw. Uh, and it actually helped Jesuit out, uh, out tremendously also and gave them that third win in a row. In our next matchup, we had Holy Cross taking on East St. John. We mentioned that. Holy Cross is a quality ball club that still can find a way to do some damage. Pull out the 17-9 victory over East St. John. Both teams will be playing in the highest level of their respective brackets. Holy Cross, not a ton of wins, but a team that is falling on the right side of the bracket in Division I select, and this could be beneficial to them. 
Coach, in our last matchup, we had Brother Martin taking on St. Aug. St. Aug pulled out the 14 to 13 victory. We have a real, real tight ball game, and I think Brother Martin is a, is a team that could be a sleeper in the playoffs. So the, uh, St. Aug jumped out to a quick lead. Brother Martin made a made a nice push against them, and and uh, uh, they really responded in the last couple of weeks to be a real, real tough football team. So uh, they could, with the bracket the way it is, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, they could be a sleeper in that bracket, especially that side of the bracket seemed to be tremendously weaker than, than the other side. And I'll do it for our recap segment. So for the preview segment, we're going to do things a little bit different. Coach, we discussed it beforehand. There's too many games to get to, too much to talk about. We're going to go ahead and look at the brackets themselves and just mention some of these big matchups that could happen down the road, maybe some teams to keep an eye out on. And we're going to start from the highest division in the non-select side of the bracket, and then we'll make our way down. So, Coach, Division One non-select, we know about Destran, who falls in great position on the opposite side of the bracket from Zachary. I think a lot of people are having that matchup circled, and rightfully so. They seem to be two of the best teams in that division. Yeah, right now, you know, Jason, the, the top seeds are not playing. They will be off this week. But so this is a projection of, of basically who could and should actually end up in the Superdome based on based on their, their seating. First of all, at the top, you have Neverland Ruston. Either one of those two could, could get there. Uh, they're very, very good. Uh, and at the bottom, you have Destrian and Zachary. Now, the problem is Destrian and Zachary have to face one another, so is Neverland Ruston have to face one another. No, no, I'm sorry, they don't have to face one another right away because their seat is different. But those are four particular teams there that could end up in the Superdome. It should be a tight race in Division One. Looks like a Division Two non-select. Coach, when you look at this bracket in particular, this one has the feeling of possibly one of the most wide-open brackets no in the entire state. Now, I, I think it's, it's going to be interesting. Lutcher falls into this bracket, and that's a team that we mentioned could do some damage, and I fully expect to be in that conversation semifinal final round. I agree. I agree, Jason. It's a good way to put it. It's wide open. Uh, Iowa is the number one seed. North Dakota is a possibility it has to come out of that, that top part of the bracket. But also Lutcher's in there. And to keep an eye on this Lakeshore team, they run a wing tee, which is a little hard to prepare for. Uh, they just won the district championship at Opelousas. They're also on, on that bottom part of the bracket with Lutcher. So so of those, that's a, actually a five-team deal there. But Opelousas is a go-offensive line. They, they line up shoot-to-shoot like old-fashioned football and run right at you. So don't be a bit surprised with a number three seed that they could end up there too. Plaquemine in that top part of the bracket as well with North DeSoto and West Felicians in that bottom part. Both teams only had one loss on the season. Uh, should be uh, interesting to see them as well. Division three, non-select side. Uh, pretty open in that top part of the bracket. You have Manny St. James setting up for a semifinal matchup, and that would be a ton of fireworks. You have Union Parish in that bottom part, and Union Parish has been – just a phenomenal program, even when you were coaching. You've coached against them quite a few times in your tenure at St. Charles Catholic. Right. They were formerly called Formerville at that particular time. Uh, Manny, and, Manny is the, probably the team to beat. They're very, very talented. They played Newman earlier in the year. Uh, but St. James, St. James got a lot of speed. They got a lot of athletes on the field. And uh, naturally, with the seed the way it goes, they would have to travel there if that ever takes place. They won't see that for about three weeks. Uh, but then at the, at the bottom, you have Union Parish, as you talked about. And I also slashed in there is Bogalusa, um, a good friend of Cyril Crutchfield is there. And uh, he's done a phenomenal job. 
job with them. Uh, he, he works as hard as any coach has ever seen. He will get them very physical. And from what I understand, they're, they're pretty talented also. If Sterlington were to pull off the first round win, there would be a Sterlington-Union Parish matchup in their first game, and that would be fireworks. Those are two very fun teams when they step on the field. Division four, non-select side of the bracket. Another very wide open bracket. You have your typical powerhouses. I think uh, some of the names you're going to see in that top part of the bracket are Kentwood and Haynesville that you're going to have to keep an eye on, Coach. But that bottom part of the bracket has some talent, too. Yeah, I, you know, here's Kentwood and Bazile. Bazile is, is the team that, that um, I mean, I remember years ago, they didn't have 20 players on the field, but now all of a sudden it looks like they, they got things going, and it's good to see. It's good to see numbers out. And on, on the bottom uh, the bottom part, you have Magnum and Homer is the team that probably can get there. Don't know an awful lot about that division. Don't hear much about them from down here. But, uh, you know, those teams in, in the north play real good football, too, in north Louisiana. So uh, they line up. They have very, very good coaching, and football is very important to them. In our select side the brackets we're going to go ahead and start out from division one so many teams we could sit here and list coach it, it's truly about who um, it, at some point it, it kind of goes to where you line up but one team that won't matter whether they line up cars and be sitting in that bottom part of the bracket in the seven seed and that's probably the team that everyone's going to be gunning for in this bracket no, Jason, I, tell you, I, I don't know the, the gods of football were not shining on some people because the, the top part of that bracket you have Warren Easton, St. August, probably the marquee team, but don't discount Brother Morton because they played, as we talked about earlier, they played St. August very, very closely on, on Friday. The bottom part of the bracket, you have Carr, you have Catholic. That's, that's where, 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 where Romo sits, uh, down, down to the bottom. John Curtis is about the bottom of that bracket, Jesuit. So that's a brutal, brutal, brutal bracket there. It looks like almost two separate brackets there. So whoever comes out of the bottom is, is going to be a pretty good football team. And the top is going to have uh, quite an advantage, I think. And no, dis no discounting what they have up top. Either you have Karen Crow, uh, you have Acadiana. Like, there's talented teams, but... That bottom part, as you mentioned, Coach, absolutely brutal. Whoever's going to come out of that bottom part, the Braxton have gone through a ton of attrition, and uh, we'll see if they can keep things rolling. Division two select side, uh, a ton of talent here as well. In that top part, you have a couple programs in St. Thomas Moore and E.D. White, which probably look to shake out, but you also have a, a very talented Madison prep team, and that bottom part of the bracket is no different. They have a, a good bit of ball clubs there. Yeah, Jason, this is a top-heavy bracket. I mean, what I mean by that, your better seeds are at the top and your lower seeds. There'll be a lot of bad football games early in this, in this playoff section here. And uh, until you get maybe to the quarterfinals, semifinals, where you get the competition better in this bracket, it's, a, it's, a, it's not that wide open. I think those four teams we just mentioned, on the top, you got STM uh, with E.D. White's got a good football team, but they have to play one another. Then De La Salle and Terlins, they're, they're headed for a collision course. And uh, De La Salle is just a powerful football team with, with two excellent running backs. And you look for them to be in the dome also. Two other teams to keep an eye out on. You can't discredit LCA. LCA would have to play De La Salle in the quarterfinal round. A very talented team, although young. And Evangel would have to take on E.D. White. So that would be another interesting matchup. But you, you are correct. There's a, a ton of powerhouse programs in there that will likely be leading the way. Division three select. Uh, we have the top part of the bracket, which has Newman and Uhi. Uh, you also have... Calvary Baptist and Dunham and U High seems to be a very 
under the radar team, if if that's possible, uh, sitting yeah. at uh, the eight seat. Yeah, you high, I think, is going to probably be the, the class of that. Even though their their seat is way down there, uh, they played some very good competition. I saw them them early on film against uh, St. Charles in the scrimmage, and they're very talented. They have a lot of guys that go both ways. So uh, Dunham is the other part that that the Dunham's going to have to face them prior to that. Uh, the luck of the draw, you have a. Uh, St. Charles and Notre Dame. That's a that's a semifinal matchup uh, right there. And the winner of that matchup is, is headed to the Superdome. So um, that's another top heavy bracket. You have the good teams are at the top. Newman is in there. Is in that that group. But Newman also is a is at the is at the bottom. And they'd have to go through Notre Dame. And and they've always a physical football team. So that's a very interesting bracket too. But again, two and three seem to be be very very top heavy, where the others are, are a little more level. Coach, would that be three straight years that Notre Dame would play St. Charles Catholic if that would yes. play out? That's yes, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Division four select side, uh, as you mentioned earlier, maybe a bit top heavy on this top part of the bracket. Vermilion Catholic, the one seed, seems to be the team to beat. A uh, very talented group. And in that bottom part, I think you have that OCS Riverside matchup, which I personally feel like is going to determine who will reach the dome in that bottom part of the bracket, although that is still a, a quarterfinal game. Yep, you know the VC, and they headed for a collision course with the number two seed St. Martin's, and basically St. Martin's is basically a one-man team. They got the running back. Uh, they, they, I think that the, their competition level, even though Coach Induce has done a phenomenal job there, um, but the, the competition level is not there for them. And but, so you can see VC emerges from that side now. Riverside and Washington, that could be a really, really great matchup. Riverside is a, I think, the dark horse in this whole race. Yeah, I don't think they should be a dark horse. I think there's definitely a team you need to highlight. But as you mentioned, River Parishes could see four or five teams in, in great position uh, as we move on towards this part of the season. One last point, Jason. you got to remember this. A lot of these guys, it all depends how they handle the playoffs. Some kids and some coaches will take it well. I don't know if I want to work any extra. Some kids say, well, I want to go hunting. Uh, you know, my goal was always to say, hey, I want my team practicing on, on Thanksgiving morning. That means that you're pretty deep in the playoffs. You know, so a lot of these guys are ready to, to pack it in. Some won't. Uh, on, on the other flip, flip side of them, some will say, well, maybe I can't beat this team. But the team that believes that they can, you can see some major, major upsets. So don't count anybody out. Absolutely. Just a few of the games that we mentioned, that doesn't mean that anybody is being discredited. Just the, the teams that caught our eye, again, there's so many uh, better matchups this season with the way the, the playoff structure is, and I'm very excited to see some of these games and, and catch some of them. Now, let's move on to Saturday's matchup, Coach. Alabama, as we move on to the college football section, Alabama took on LSU, an incredible game. I got the chance to be there. Um, if you can't tell, I'm, my voice is suffering slightly from it. Um, I, I screamed for about four hours straight. 32-31 to 31 finish. Just an incredible game. LSU came out and played solid defense, held Alabama to no touchdowns until the third quarter. Their defense played extremely well. Harold Perkins is a beast as a, a freshman. He is a yeah. freak of nature. LSU has been needing to find a way to get him active in the game plan and – he was. He was. He was a, a massive part of the disruption against Alabama, and their offense for LSU played well. Jaden Daniels has gone from the guy who people are calling for the backup quarterback to now emerging as a Heisman candidate. Uh, 
Williams at running back came up with some big runs, a massive block on that last run by Jaden Daniels for the touchdown. And what a game by Mason Taylor, another freshman who contributed massively. Three freshmen, Coach, left tackle, right tackle, and your tight end, all freshmen making massive impact in this game. And, of course, you can't go without mentioning a two-point conversion. Just a great overall game start to finish. Probably the best game I've ever witnessed in person in Tiger Stadium. Well, I think that's tremendous credit to Coach Kelly and where he's brought that football team. And he keeps calling it the process. And he got his players believing in the process. And I saw that. You saw that on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they're not turning the ball over. Uh, they're tackling well in space. And I think that's that's very, very important, even though they're doing it without great special teams. But uh, even though the other night they, they were a lot better uh, than they've been. Uh, but uh, a credit to him, his defensive offensive staff, the offensive staff has adjusted to, to Jalen Daniels to what he can do. Uh, they found a decent running back that can go north and south. Uh, they've done it with with a receiving core that other than one guy that finally, he finally uh, I think, woke up and now getting more involved. So it's just a credit to the fact that, that what they've done, uh, the, 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 the body of work from the Tennessee game to now, just incredible. Be two and two teams like the Tennessee and, and then the Florida that come back to beat Alabama is incredible. Got a shot, uh, believe it or not, outside shot to get into the big picture. Now, of course, uh, I'm always concerned about that big win with the celebration and pats on it. Pats on the back soon become kicks in the seat of your pants. So let's hope that they can continue this in Arkansas. Coach, before we can move on, you know, I can't I can't help but ask. There's got to be asked. Two-point conversion play. It happened earlier in the season. They had that opportunity against Florida State. Did this situation change your – would this situation have changed your approach at all with it being Alabama at home, the crowd behind you, the way the offense played? Do you think if you were coaching the team, you would have pulled the trigger on a two-point play? At that time, to be honest with you, no. But I understand his, his, his reasoning. And his reason said, well, he's, you know, he, he thought his team had battled so hard at that particular time and he was going to end it right there because it's, you know, it's a, it was a long, long game. It was a ferocious battle going back and forth. And he had a chance to knock off Alabama with just one play. And that's the, you know, the Florida State game at the beginning of the year. That's, that's a totally different story. Feeling that if I go to overtime, I know I can beat these guys sooner or later. But I think he felt like, you know, since I have three more ball games, this is my shot to beat them at home. That's a big thing. You're out. You're at home, and you got the you got the crowd on your side. You got some momentum. You just you just scored. But now let's let's take it. Now I personally still would not have done it, but he did it, and he got away with it. And it, it, listen, it's it worked. And even if it didn't work, the people would have called him courageous at the time. They wouldn't have called him courageous against Florida State. But you know, <laughs> but right there because it was Alabama that had a whole whole different decision making process. For the record, I was the one in the stands that people were saying, please shut up, I'm streaming. Go for two. Go for the win, you know. Um, it, it seemed like the right decision at that moment, but I believe that's only the 10th time LSU has beaten Alabama at home. Just an incredible game to be a part of. And in our next matchup, we had Tulane taking on Tulsa, defeating them 27-13. Coach, you called it a potential trap game. They find a way to get past it, and that sets up a massive showdown in New Orleans against UCF. I'm kind of bummed out. I was really hoping they would give a chance to put Tulane on the national stage, bring game day to New Orleans. Unfortunately, that won't happen, but a massive opportunity in front of them for Coach Fritz's ball club. Yeah, I'm so happy for Coach Fritz, and I, I think he's done a great job of keeping his kids with their feet on the ground. 
keeping him focused exactly what the task is at hand. He hears your mantra is is one and oh every week, one and oh. I really like that that concept and if people buy into it and once you once you start having some success they believe into it now they've they faced themselves with with central florida now people forget though you know they had a tough go they were living in birmingham last year after after ida they had to travel to practice they didn't have any facilities no coaching officers they had to play oklahoma and Ole miss back to back that was a tough go for them and now with things a little bit different they were a pretty good football team last year also but they didn't they didn't get out of the blocks this year they got a great chance now they're going to play Central Florida, one of the better teams in, in the country, no matter what the, what uh, division they're in. And um, I really think of, uh, I plan to be there myself on, on Saturday to watching them, pulling hard for them. And, and if they can get this one, though, I always said if, if he gets nine, ten wins, they can get a big bowl. And uh, I think Tulane's issue is going to be holding on to Coach Fritz before this is over with. Some projections have had Tulane versus LSU in a in a major bowl game. I don't know how I'd feel about that one, Coach. Um, it's, you, can't, you can't pull for two teams. Now I graduated from one of the schools, so that would make things a little bit difficult for me. But moving on, you have the Saints took on the Baltimore Ravens, Coach, and it was another disappointing game for the Saints. Um, does this game kind of change your opinion on the quarterback situation? Not at all. I don't think he had anything to do with it. I think it, I think that you know he got that well he had a couple passes early blocked. I think that from the very first play you can see that the, that the, the Baltimore came to play. They were a lot more one word. They were physical. They were physical on both sides of the ball. They dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage. They pushed the pocket. I mean, Dalton was like throwing in a silo. I know. I, I still think, and I don't think that changes anything because um, the defense, I thought, played hard at times, and they did a good job. I mean, that that, that uh, Mario Davis, that linebacker, just incredible for him on defense and Cam Jordan. Um, but I think they still have time to right the ship. Coach Allen said it. They got whipped in every phase. I mean, they really did. And um, you know, when you're when you're the most physical team. Team on the on the field, ninety nine percent of the time you're going to win. We always preach that as coaches of being physical, you know, uh, blocking and tackling. It's it's still the game is is really really sophisticated, but it still comes down to blocking and tackling, and that that line of scrimmage is is the answer right there. And uh, from the very beginning, they took Camaro, they slammed him to the turf, and you can see, whoa, this this group came to play. I don't think the quarterback situation meant very much and made a made a big difference whatsoever. All right, so that'll wrap things up for our first segment. And we want to go ahead and thank our sponsors, Accardo, a title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firm, for being our sponsor of the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Samuel Accardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. When we come back from the break, we'll have our special guest, Gordy Rush, to talk with us. And in our final segment, we'll have the Let's Be Frank segment, where he'll talk about excessive celebration in sports so don't touch that dial remember you're watching on varsity sports now samuel Licardo jr and Henri p dufresne your go-to river parish lawyers experience tenacity and results 
Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreaux and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Tonight, our special guest attended Jesuit High School and went on to play defensive back at LSU. While there, he earned honors as the LSU Special Teams Player of the Year and has been the sideline reporter for LSU the past 11 years. He is also the Vice President and Market Manager of Guarantee Media. We want to welcome in our special guest, Gordy Rush. Gordy, thank you so much for joining us, and we appreciate you um, taking your time. And, of course, being on the sideline, you had a, a, a special opportunity to be on the field for that. LSU Alabama game where does that compare in your 11 years being on the sideline to atmosphere wise in Tiger Stadium yeah that's up there with 2007 LSU Florida I mean I remember 1990 was it seven 1997 LSU Florida when uh, Herb Tyler and company uh, beat LSU but I you know I think for this one um it you know it was unique in that LSU was a 13 point underdog and I think you had a good feeling it'd be a competitive football game, but, but you know, there was hope, but LSU was such an underdog. And um, just the way everything has kind of gelled this year, starting with that game in New Orleans in the last two weeks, they, 
seems like uh, Coach Kelly's been able to, to get the right people and the right seats on the bus and find an identity on offense. It's been fun to watch and for them to beat Alabama and that atmosphere at night at Tiger Stadium. It, it was top three game for me. Guardia, let me, let me um, first of all, let people know that you played for me at, at Jefferson yes. High School. Uh, you're, you're a great defensive back. Uh, everybody knows that. You signed with the University of Purdue. Uh, I remember the guy very well by the name of Willard Wells. I'm sure you do, too. I do. And uh, he's also a personal friend of mine and, and stuff like that. But people uh, don't realize how, how much of a, how good a football player you really were. Uh, you know, you just didn't, they didn't come down here from, from Purdue University just to sign a slappy. Uh, you were so physical. And I, I remember the team, uh, you had gotten dinged at one, one particular game. And there was a question about whether you were going to play. And I, multiple players walked up to me and said, Coach, is Gordy going to play? Because you were kind of the guy that they wanted in the alley with them to be a fighter. And uh, that you proved that one time. And when we put you at a robber back and Leroy Horde, this big mm -hmm. back from St. All came running through and Gordy on the very first play of the game, you nailed the guy. You probably would get flagged for that in, in today's <laughs> world. Uh, you, you nailed him and, and knocked him out. He was a 230 pound running back at the time, went on to play with the Cleveland Browns for uh, NFL for many, many years. And, and since that time, everybody knew that you were a hitter to begin with. And, and I think that helped you not only at the Purdue University, but also at, the, at uh, LSU. But I just wanted people to know your background. Your mom and dad were tremendous to me uh, during the, my tenure over there at Jesuit High School. Uh, your mom was one that put on this big banquet with the balloons. I never forget that and, and stuff like that. But uh, you were a special player. So I wanted the people to know you're not just a sideline reporter. You have a good background. But, you know, on the side Gordy, I really, I really like the your analysis of the game. Um, I guess my my biggest question: do are, do you have access to to all the practices? Do you have access to the meetings and uh, player meetings and coaches meetings? So I'm I'm able to go to practice. Coach Kelly asked that I go out there on Thursday, and so um, you know, and, and you know, a lot of the implementation is there. And Thursday is a special day when um, the game the game plans in. They go through two minute drill and. Uh, fine-tuning things. So that's a good one hour for, for me to go catch Thursday at five o'clock. And then I think you'd appreciate that, that, you know, get a chance to at least review game film. And, and there's something there, there's watching it on TV and then there's wide cut. And so usually Sunday night or, or Monday, I get a chance and go back and look at, at the game film and then look ahead um, to see the opponents, to get an idea of who's what and, and what they're going to do. And, you know, I think that that's the best way for me to prepare for Saturday's broadcast. And then, you know, especially on a game like before Alabama, when you're doing national media and uh, all sorts of different things, you want to be able to represent the team in, in the best way possible. And, and so, yeah, I think mean, Coach Kelly's really, um, uh, he's been excellent to work with thus far. I remember you telling me, you know, way back uh, when this, before the season even started that you were very impressed with his practices, how organized a guy he was, very, very professional and things like that. But, but Gordy, you know, the, from where they came from, from week one, and, right. uh, and everybody was talking about a new quarterback and, and Daniels is not going to be the guy. You know, I ran into him at the, at the, the Manning Pass Academy. In fact, I introduced myself and I asked myself, are you a receiver? Because nobody knew who he was at that time. He said, no, I'm, I'm a quarterback and I'm here to throw an exhibition and stuff like that. But he's emerged as, as being an excellent threat. He's a dual threat. He's not the greatest thrower in the world, but he certainly can run. His first two steps out of the pocket are really impressive. It really is. And, and you know, he's really improved on his accuracy. He went out to California this summer and worked with some folks out there. 
and uh, was much more accurate in fall camp than he was in the spring. And that was kind of a knock on him coming out of Arizona State. He also had a bunch of offensive coordinators at Arizona State and had some turnover out there. And and so this became a, you know, a little bit more stable situation for him. You know, Coach, if you, you want to talk X's and O's, which well, you know, I think is really – uh, been impressive is the way the the coach Kelly, Coach Denbrock, and and that offensive staff they they've evolved. You know they were more of a a pocket or a play action run team, and uh, lo and behold, Florida came up with a bare front, double eagle front, had five people on the line of scrimmage. They saw a lot of bump and run coverage against a young, inexperienced line, and they struggled to to really be able to handle that. And uh, as time went on, they spread things out a little bit. You saw more. Uh, these zone read RPO type of things, a lot of design quarterback runs, and they had success with that. And with that success, they were able to hit some big plays, and, and defenses had to adjust. They backed up. They stopped playing a lot of press coverage out there uh, on the edge, and it, it enabled LSU to have some success, one, running the football with, with that zone read game. And then, uh, you know, starting with the Florida game, you saw uh, an element of trust in, in which uh, the quarterback and the wide receiver, they were on the, the same page. And because the defensive backs moved back, he was able to get the football out in space to the receivers, and they were to make, able to make things happen. And then it was in that Florida game, I think they really were – you saw LSU establish an identity of who they wanted to be. They were able to carry that from Florida to Ole Miss and then to Alabama. I mean, for LSU to rush for 185 yards against any Alabama team is, is a fantastic statistic. Yeah, that, that zone reach stuff that they really – I, they're really exploited now, but also they do it off the, with the pass and they do it with the read. I think that's that's pretty impressive stuff, and that's really good for him. Uh, I also was impressed with the push that the defensive lineman got on Alabama's sure. off, uh, offensive line. Right? I mean, he had nowhere to step up. You know, that's the most important thing. Your edge rushers are all going to be uh, the high rushers are always going to make the guy step up. But when he did step up, he didn't have much room in there. So I, I was very very impressed with the pressure that they had up front. I had not seen that. Yeah, you know, and I think that, you know, Matt House, of course, came from the Kansas City Chiefs and, you know, coaching the NFL, they, they always do a good job with lots of different looks and, and you got to mix it up at that level because the quarterbacks have seen everything at that point. Um, you know, a couple things. I, I think, one, they did a great job of, of kind of cage rushing and knowing who the quarterback was and they, they did a good job of forming the pocket and almost breaking down as if they were playing basketball. And, and if they went after him, they, they were careful on how they did so. But rarely did you see a defender just shoot up the, 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 uh, shoot up the field and open up a huge gap. So I think that was some of it. Um, some of it is they found a way to, to, to get Harold Perkins Jr. on the field. He was the backup linebacker, outside linebacker, the jack linebacker behind B.J. Ojulari. And, uh, you know, one of the hard things is that that was two of your best 11 players, if not the best two players on your defense, and they happened to play the same position. And yeah. so they moved him out to the, the nickel spot and, and kind of that, that position, took Jay Ward off the field, and, and then you had Ojulari on one side and Perkins on the other, and those two absolutely dangerous rushing, and you, you know you can't slide the protection both ways. And then finally – when, when Perkins, uh, I think especially second and long, third and long, they moved to more of that, that specialty package, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, a, a pass rush package, and they put him in the middle of the field as the spy on Bryce Young. 
And for a true freshman to do that good a job on Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, and, and basically just stay in the middle of the football field, and he waited until Bryce Young took a step. And when Bryce Young took that first step and declared, he was gone. I mean, he was so instinctive, and he gave Bryce Young hits and uh, fits rather, uh, you know, all evening long. So you couldn't, I couldn't be more impressed with the job than Matt House did against Alabama. Yeah, you know, one thing, Gordon, um, I know personally because he was in my group at the Manning camp was, was Bryce Young. And yeah. I think that what people realize, you want to keep him in the pocket. He's only yes. 5'10". Yes. He's only 5'10". That's what people don't realize. But Daniels is, what, 6'3", 6'4", or something he's, like he's that? He might be 6'4". You're right. He's a good right. size. And, you know, because everybody, Shaq, and everybody was on the sideline. You know me, but former DB. I'm happy to sit behind the goalpost and watch right. it or, or as far back as I can on an angle. And, and you're exactly right. So I, I was blown away last year when I saw Bryce Young for the first time, how short he was. And look, he's a great talent. Don't get me wrong, but absolutely you want to keep him in the, in the pocket. And he struggles, I think, to see some things. You've got limited vision, with, especially with those crossing routes because, you know, Alabama has offensive linemen of 6'4 and above. So it's really difficult for him to see. And he's most effective, I think, when he's able to move around a little bit by time and improvise. And I thought Elsie did a nice job of keeping him in the pocket. No question. I think that that was important because, uh, you know, a couple of kids at camp walked up to him and wanted to know if he was a camper, you know, at the at the particular time. Guardian, just switching quickly a couple of things. Uh, your running back situation, uh, really like his a walk-on, and he, but he looked like Hilaire to me. Yeah, no, Josh Williams – is I believe from Episcopal High School in in uh, in Houston, a little bit lower classification, and he was a college prospect, but blew out his knee, mm -hmm. and and so somebody alerted, uh, you know, Coach Ogeron and the LSU staff about him. They took him as a walk on. He rehabbed that knee, and he's a fantastic talent. And, and you know, high football IQ, love the way he runs. I think it was that third and six, third and seven, in which Alabama brought a lot of pressure on that final drive and, and they ran the football and he was able to shake off a linebacker. He's really been impressive. So Josh Williams has been great. Look, John Emery, that was the best that I've seen him look since the fall camp of 2019. You know how talented he is being from the River Parishes. If he gets going, um, you know, and I still, Armani Goodwin has a burst. He's getting back to 100% health. And, and, and Noah Kane, you know, originally from New Orleans when played at IMG, um, yeah, I, I think I don't know if he's back to 100 percent, you know, since that injury at Penn State. But mm -hmm. but he's a guy that runs well between the tackles, understands pass protection, a veteran. And, and so you have a you know, maybe you don't have a bell cow running back, but you have four uh, players that, that really give you a good running back by committee there. Yeah, I know that because uh, coaching the running back for a long time, they have to be able to pick up the blitz. I mean, they, absolutely. You know, especially in your six-man six protection, they have to be available. Gord, let's switch to this week. Um, I've always professed that after a huge win, you know, after your highest highs, your lowest low, uh, but it looks like Coach Kelly has really, really got a good handle on that and, and trying to have these guys focus. Yeah, Coach, you know, and, and look, I, I, you know, one of the great things about playing for you is the attention to detail. And, and, and I think being able to communicate with the messages and, and you know, he talked to me, on, we, we record his game day pregame press conference on Monday, or his, should I say his pregame interview. And he talked about, he said, look, we started preparing for this back in January. You know, that, that it's not the ups and downs. That he's preaching this consistency every day, the focus on the process. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think he's got a handle on it. Now, that being said, you know as well I am, these are kids. 
and you're going to play Arkansas, and it's 11 a.m. kickoff, right? And, and you, know, um, you know, LSU historically, historically, and now these are teams of the past, so it doesn't mean this group, playing at 11 o'clock, playing Arkansas, it's going to be, I, I just got a memo, it's going to be right at 32 degrees at kickoff at, at 11 a.m., so, so that might as well be below zero for Louisiana <laughs> folks. And, and you got an Arkansas team that's five and four that came off a loss to Liberty, that, that has had the injury bug bite them. Their quarterback, Jefferson, is beat up. And, and you know, now they're playing a three-game SEC stretch against LSU at home, Ole Miss at home, and going to Missouri, trying to find themselves to a bowl game. And this was a top-20 football team before the season. So, um, you know how that goes. It's a tough spot for LSU. Let's call it what it is. I think it's really important that the, to, to me that you get off to a good start, like they did against Alabama. Alabama, uh, because you don't want to give a team like this any sort of life or any sort of chance. Exactly. As a former high school player and a former, you know, um, football player in D1 at, at LSU and in college and Purdue, uh, how do you see the game? What are the things that you've noticed that have changed since you played that are sure. not present? I mean, uh, there because there are a lot of them out there, but uh, the game has definitely changed. Well, I, I, you know, offensively, no doubt about it. I, I mean, we see all these dual-threat quarterbacks, and, you know, I, I asked Coach Kelly, I said, look, was it 10 years ago, you, Cam Newton was was kind of the exception to the rule. And you look at LSU, they, Travis was an athletic quarterback at Florida State. Robbie Ashford is an incredible athlete at, at Auburn, and not necessarily he's learning to throw, but he's still a young player. You had Richardson at Florida. Uh, Jackson Dart was a fantastic athlete at Ole Miss. He played Bryce Young. You've got K.J. Jefferson. So now the quarterback being a, a true dual threat and, and all of these spread offenses have, have changed the game. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Coach, you know, I think two things to jump out to me is that uh, we played a lot of zone when you coached, right? Um, yes. Today in the high school ranks, you see more man. It's easier to teach. And, um, and, and, and seven on seven obviously has had a huge effect on some of it. And, and to me, zone defense is a little bit of a lost art. And then finally, I think with all the new NCAA rules and, and certainly player safety and player protection is a part of it, but tackling has become a little bit of a lost art. You don't hit quite as much as you used to. You're not able to spend as many hours on the practice field. And, um, you know, I, I think you see more missed tackles. And those are just a couple of the things that, that jump out at me. Yeah, I, I agree that the RPO thing has really impacted the game, even though LSU doesn't do a lot of it. A lot of people do. They up-tempo, like Tennessee does. Yeah. They up-tempo things so you can't sub. Uh, and then they, they trade with you. You know, they, you bring a tight end, they bring in another another a defensive end or, or outside linebacker. Uh, the up-tempo stuff, uh, linebackers are the big difference, I think, because they can yeah. run like, like backs nowadays. You know, and uh, uh, I think the game's gotten a lot faster. Uh, yes. Some people call it basketball on grass. Well, yeah, and you, and you know, coming from the high school ranks, you know, Coach, one of the biggest things, the developments has been the seven-on-seven. Seven. I mean, football's now a year-round sport, and with that seven-on-seven, seven, everybody's playing some variation of the spread offense, and the pass game, uh, you know, the passing game is more important. There's more emphasis on this, and, uh, you know, we've seen that move up to the NFL and, and some of the teams that, that have, have had success. We saw Lamar Jackson you know, basically take Bobby Petrino's offense and, and Baltimore have to really mold to his talents. So, yeah, it has it, it has changed the game. And I think there's no better example of looking at Nick Saban, who's done an incredible job of evolving with the times. It was in 2011 
when, when LSU had those two two games against uh, uh, Alabama, and there was a nine to six game in Tuscaloosa, and then twenty one nothing um, in, in the Louisiana Superdome. Superdome, Alabama won that game, and you know they wind up. Who would have thought that Nick Saban lost a fifty two forty nine game at Tennessee this year? And and the, the game has changed. No, no question. And and I don't know if it's better or not, but you have to go go with the flow. And and I think that you guys have made quite an adjustment there. You know, Gordy, the um, I can't I can't let the time go by because the going for two. Uh, yeah. was, I think I, I understood what he said in the press conference, and uh, basically he had nothing to lose. I mean, he was already a two-loss team. He had a chance to beat Alabama at home, and 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 maybe. Uh, Make a make a big name for the for the program. Uh, I looked at it. I don't like that idea on the high school level. I want my defense to be able to play too. I want all twenty two to play, you know. But I can see that. And he said, you know, that, that was a tough ball game. Uh, he knew that he had another game, but three more coming up. And I can see why he just wanted to shorten it and say, hey, I'm gonna take my chances right here. What's your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, you know, I, um, just being around Coach Kelly, I, I think that his preparation is, is incredible and. You know, Coach, you can appreciate that. I'm sitting in the end zone. They score, and I look over, and Brian Polian, the special teams coach, is backing up the PAT team, and they've told the referee to put the ball on the left middle hash, not on the left hash, but in between. I mean, right away. And so, I, you know, I'm on the radio telling Chris Blair they're going for two. I, I mean, they're going for two. And, you know, when the, the ball goes on the hash like that, that he's coming back to the open field, and you got to guess it's going to be Daniels in space. And um, and going back and seeing the film, they love the matchup of having Mason Taylor on the free safety number nine. Um, so I think what surprised me more is they stayed with it after the timeout. You know, usually they, they have LSU confused. Same, mm-hmm. same play, same everything. And Alabama still had 12 people on the field after the timeout. They had a defensive back that had the runoff there. But, but you know the play. They, they ran, you know, both receivers in, picked the linebacker. The linebacker didn't pick him, but he had to run the bubble. And if you execute that perfectly, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a touchdown. Look, you draw it up like that, and you know when you go through your Friday preparation, you go through the call sheet, and you do the call sheet Saturday in the hotel before you get out there. Hey, if we're in this situation, we're going to go for the win. We're calling this play. It was all planned. Now, yeah. having the heart – to pull the trigger in a game in that atmosphere like that, I, I think it shows you a lot about Coach Kelly. And, and I, I laugh, I, Coach, you can appreciate this. Uh, for the Florida State game, I walked up there and, you know, in this day and age, you have so many analysts. And there's a guy that had a book about this thick, right? And he is the guy that, that's kind of the, in, in Coach Kelly's ear and holds all the statistics. And, and he said it, I, I think, against Florida State. They asked him if he'd go for two. He's like, no, I decided to kick it. Uh, it was a 48% chance that we would make it. Well, he called that play knowing there was a 48% chance. That's the same statistics are going to hold true right there as they did at Florida State. But, I mean, everything is well thought and organized. And um, you, you got to love the call, right? And, and if he missed it, um, you know, what, what do you, you're playing a little bit with house money. I, I think everybody appreciates the effort and, and that you got out there and you, and you win for the win. No question, no, Guardia. Uh, every high school coach and college coach has that same play in their playbook. It's called yeah. pick. It's called pick pass. You know, normally you try the way they do it. It's a rub, and uh, if you if a team goes to man, it's hard to stop. 
because that's why the, right. the tight end went in motion and he came back. And, and motion, as you know, defines the defense. It, it tells right. what in the zone. But if it's zone, if they switch the zone, then those two pivot guys become the throw. So that's I, right. I and, and look, you know, Alabama, you know, most teams are going to play man. Alabama right. plays a lot of bump man. And, um, and, and when you, I, I looked at the replay today, the, the free, you, let's go back to the Mason, uh, rather Mason Taylor touchdown in, in the back of the end zone. So you had Taylor here and the, and the wide, the wide receiver, I was at Jenkins was outside of him and they purposely ran Boutte in motion all the way across the field and they bumped Alabama bump coverages and they got Taylor on the free safety number nine. I don't have my flip chart on me. And he scored that touchdown with that great catch on the same guy. Well, you 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 know they're they're trying to get that matchup once again. And number nine, when he came back in that zigzag motion, actually knew he was coming. And that's the thing; he still had to run the bubble. You know it's coming, and and you've got two choices: you either fight through this thing, and you can't go shallow underneath it, or you'll never get there. They'll just lead you. And so even he knew that it was coming, but it was executed perfectly. Um, Boutte did it, uh, excuse me, neighbors did a great job of just getting in the way and making him run the bubble without making contact and they scored. Right. Right. Well, Guardian, listen, it's been, it's been a pleasure hearing from you, bud. I really appreciate you taking your time out from your Pilates to help us out here in, <laughs> on, our, on our podcast. And, uh, and, uh, I know, I know you have three kids now, don't you Guardian? You know, I have three kids, Coach, and I had to, you know, you were doing your podcast when I spoke over at St. Charles two weeks ago. I had to break the news to Coach Stein that uh, my oldest one's in eighth grade. He's 6'1", 160, and he's, uh, we just transferred over to University Lab. So we are now in the same division, U High, oh, my with, uh, with St. Charles Catholic. And I'll tell you, you know, I mean, if it ever happens that U High is going to square off against St. Charles, small world, right? I told Coach I'd still come and speak. I don't know if I'd be welcome to come and speak with, with you high getting knocked down to division three this year. But uh, so I have a, a two boys, both of them playing football. And my, my daughter used to play flag football. She was a terror on the jet sweep. But uh, since then, she's moved on to, to girls sports. Well, you do a phenomenal job on the sideline. I think you, your insight's tremendous and everything. And Gordon, we can't thank you enough for helping us out with our podcast here. So coach, congratulations on all your success. Great to see you doing this podcast. Let me know anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Gordy. Thank you so much. We want to once again thank Gordy Rush for joining us on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Coming in our next segment, we'll have the Let's Be Frank segment where Coach will talk excessive celebration in sports. We'll have a little bit of discussion on the World Series. In Football 101, we'll talk about goal line offense. And thanks for the memories. We'll talk about 1965 Leon Gaccio, or also known as Reserve High School. But we want to thank our sponsor, LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank video podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available at your local associated grocers and Ross's supermarkets. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. 
Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with RK Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boutron and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Welcome back to segment three of the Let's Be Frank video podcast, as it will be the Let's Be Frank segment. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Riverlands Insurance, for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. So let's go ahead and dive into the Let's Be Frank segment where, Coach, you wanted to look at excessive celebration in sports. Coach, you know, as a coach for a long, long time, and call me old school, old-fashioned, whatever you call it, but I am. And there's no question about that. But one thing that drives me crazy is when I see all these celebrations going on and regardless of what the sports are, and I don't know where the modesty and integrity of the game has gone. I know it's we're there for entertainment, but uh, to me, I think there's, there's a place for that. Uh, you know, I, I look at, on TV and every time there's a great play or great tackle or interception, especially if the interception or fumble, the whole team run to, to the end zone and pretends that they're taking pictures. Some of them in, started this Lambo leap thing where they jump into the, in the stands themselves. 
It just drives me crazy. You know, um, a guy makes a normal tackle. He's supposed to tackle. That's what he's there for. It's what he gets paid for. He gets up, he beats his chest because he wants the camera to see who made the tackle. Uh, they make a great play and they, they spike the ball. Uh, they get in the end zone. They do a dance. It's almost like America's Got Talent. It looks like they, they practice the whole thing. Uh, they just It just drives me absolutely crazy. It doesn't have to happen. I know watching Tulane University, they score a touchdown and their players, all their players will run right to the official and hand them the ball. I tell you, that, that, you know, that makes my heart proud to see that. I think that's something that, that you do. Enjoy the game and, and, and give the game the credit it deserves. And I, I don't know all this showboating because a lot of it is just look at me and that sort of thing. But I, it, it loses its, its, its focus with the team, even though the whole team now is starting to do that and it takes time. Now, my take on this, this whole thing is that if they're going to do that in, in football, in football, give them a time limit. Let them celebrate, but give them the time to put it on the clock, whether it's 10 seconds, 15 seconds. After that, get out of here. Give me the ball and get out of here because they slow up the game. Uh, the referees kind of buy into it. Let them do their, their thing to, to a certain extent. Now, you're not supposed to taunt. Uh, they, they flagged for that, and, and I can understand that. In baseball, I see baseball. A guy gets a base hit. Even in college, he gets a base hit. He turns to the dugout and celebrates with the dugout on a, on a base hit. My God, where's the modesty in it? You would never think a Mickey Mantle would do that. Uh, the Hank Williams, I mean, Hank, Hank Williams, Hank Aaron did, uh, of the world, those guys never did that, that kind of stuff, you know, for, for years. So call it old-fashioned, but I just don't like that kind of celebration because I, I think it leads to a lot of animosity between teams and, and things of that nature. But I want the integrity of the sports back. You know, one thing I really, really like, and I, I got a, uh, I, I got to really jump on the table for this. The New York Yankees might be the pro- most prolific franchise in the history of all sports. You know, they still have a hair policy and they still have a hair policy. They still don't put their names on the back of their jerseys. And I said, you know, this is something because it's all about team. Uh, you know, uh, they, I, I really think Belichick has, has something one thing that he has in, in his locker room, all the, all the coaches said, just do your job. That's it. Just do your job. You don't have all these fancy quotes that a lot of people have in there. So uh, getting back to what I'm saying is that I think there's a way that you can celebrate celebrate with your teammates. I think that's very important because I, the last thing I want to do is take emotion out of the game because I was certainly certainly emotional as a, as a coach. I want my players to be emotional. And, you know, I, I, one of my favorite expressions is that execution fuels emotion. So you execute a nice play, a nice run, a nice pass as it's expected. It's expected that you go out there and celebrate. But do it the right way. Don't hold up the game and, uh, and celebrate with your team and not in the face of, of your opponent. I think that's, that's very important. Thank you for that, Coach. And moving on to our next segment is World Series. You know, it just wrapped up. The Astros pull off another World Series title. What were your thoughts on the series as a whole? Oh, my God. You know, it's a great series. I think that's a big, big turning point. Uh, first of all, Houston had a no-hitter with four different different pitchers. Uh, they had a no-hitter the first time in, in the history of, of World Series that they've had that. Um, four different pitchers. Now, it wasn't Don Larson's perfect game. That happened years ago in 1927. But this was a perfect game by four different guys. I mean, not perfect. I'm sorry. It was a no-hitter by four different pitchers from Houston. Uh, Nolan Ryan actually expressed to it took four of you guys, you know, because he was a guy that could do it one time. He said it took four of you guys to do it. But uh, big play, this guy, the first baseman for Houston, when 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 the Phillies were threatening in game three, they were threatening with man on first and third, and he hits a shot. Schwarber hits a shot down the line. The guy makes a great play. 
And if that ball gets down the line, that's a that's a, the Phillies win that ball game also. And then the, the final one, you know, they go back when they go back to Houston with a great pitching that Houston has. It's really really hard to feed them. Uh, Coach Dusty Baker got his, his first um, first uh, managerial championship. Uh, it was really good to see that. But he had they had great great pitching along the way. And Houston played good defense. And uh, you know Alex Berkman, a, a big LSU guy that played LSU, was the third baseman on that team. And and uh, it was really good. Of course, he had Nola on the other side uh, for for Phillies as the pitcher. So those guys were ex teammates themselves at LSU. And but uh, great series. And I think um, it was a little long, but we're really, really glad to see Houston win it because they're pretty much a local team. And, Coach, moving on, we have our football 101 segment where you wanted to break down goal line offense for us. I, well, you know, a lot of people don't, don't understand that the that what exactly what changes. Now, I will tell you, and um, that uh, now with the spread offenses, a lot of people don't even do that anymore. A lot of people don't even have a goal line package. They don't bring in extra people. They stay with their spread offenses. A lot of people are still in gun. One of the things you hear that's very, very controversial, you hear see a guy that's on the one yard line and uh, what we used to call the lip from one yard line in, and uh, all of a sudden he's in shotgun. And the man, the fan base said, why are you snapping the ball backwards when you're right there on the one yard line? But uh, that's what they've been taught to do. And they do it automatically and, and that's that's their system. But uh, one thing we've always done, we've always had a package where there's two tight ends, where there's three backs. And one of the things the quarterback always does, the first thing he does in goal line offense, and this is practice uh, for, for most teams. We did it on a Tuesday uh, midweek and we always did it in full pads. And uh, we, we got down there with our scout team. They, we lined them up and we ran the, our plays against them. Uh, the One thing the quarterback always did, he steps in the huddle first and he says, goal line or short yardage. When he says that, that changes everything. What it does, first of all, the narrow that splits down to one foot and then the backs creep up a half a yard so they're closer to the line of scrimmage. Now, one thing that has happened with, the, with that is that the, there's no more aiding anymore. Uh, I've seen people just push, say, Charles scored a touchdown the other night. We pushed the, the running back five yards into the end zone. And, uh, I mean, so there's no such thing as, as aiding anymore. So you can get your backs right behind the quarterback to run a quarterback sneak. They can push the quarterback in. Uh, but most goal line offenses, there's a package, and they use a down block and, then, and things like that they use with they pull the guards or whatever they do but uh it, it's pretty interesting because some people don't have they don't substitute for it and um others do because i think you do have to have one because i think there's nothing worse than being in spread and then all of a sudden you know there's a bad snap or something like that uh we always taught our quarterback to reverse out when he's underneath the center always reverse out so you don't get your feet caught up with a guard that's pulling or with another back that's too close to you, you're giving space. And I see, a, I saw a game lost in the NFL one time because the quarterback he fronted out and didn't reverse out. The other thing that that you tell the the, the the reason you reverse out for is to give clearance for that first back to pass through, so you got some room. The quarterback should always check what they call the mesh. That means when he hands the ball off, always look backwards to make sure that ball wasn't dropped on the ground. I experienced that. We lost a ball game like that because my quarterback did, did, did not do that. So there's a lot of things that you do. You know, um, this also leads the goal line offense. The goal line offense starts at about the four-yard line. So you have plays from the four, and you have a couple from the two, and naturally you have a couple from the one. And also you practice a penalty. I always practice a couple snaps from the plus eight, the eight-yard line, in case there was a penalty. So you say, all right, where do I go to on third down and eight? 
and I learned about that the the, the very very hard way. But it, it's the the other thing is exactly what happened at LSU the other day. You, from that goal line offensive package, you always practice two point plays because now even in high school, after the second overtime, you have to go for two. So everybody, some people just circumvent that and say, "Well, I'm gonna cut it short. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for two right away and solve this issue." And like LSU did, they did on on their very very first possession, they went for two. So with your goal line package, you also incorporate your two point plays. Now that's that's a one shot deal, you know. And um, uh, the the pick play that LSU ran the other night, some people call it a rub. It's a pick. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's a and uh, but most of the 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 the, the section names they call it a rub. Because pick sounds like it's illegal, and it is illegal, but a rub is so totally, totally different. But the way they did it, they didn't block anybody. They did it on, on, in a legal way. So all those two-point plays are practice, whatever they might be. They don't have to be passes. Um, many can be runs. They could be quarterback runs and something like that. Inside the 10-yard the, the line, what people have gone to now is what they call uh, plus one, meaning that the quarterback runs the ball. And uh, that gives an extra blocker, so rather than hitting the ball off. So a lot of people have done that, but basically that's that's what goal line offense is. It's practiced every week by the coaches. There's a package for it, separate package, separate personnel comes in for it, bigger people. Uh, I remember when, when, the, when the Bears had the refrigerator. Uh, in fact, he scored a touchdown in the Super, Super Bowl game one time. And uh, when you get bigger people just to push the, off, the defensive line back in the end zone. And that's when your mantra is with your offensive line is get your feet in the end zone. And the reason is if the offensive lineman gets his feet in the end zone, that means the defensive line is way back in the end zone and you've scored. Thanks, Coach, for giving us those details on goal line offense. Now let's kind of change gears to blitz the ball, Coach, where we're going to ask you a hard-hitting question now. It was a little bit long-winded to fully put up um, on the screen, so I want to set the context for those who don't know. So, Coach, we had this discussion uh, a few days ago. In 2004, you played a game early on in the season against Terrebonne where you beat the team well over double digits and you accidentally played an ineligible player. And it cost you major power points to the point where you had to take a much more difficult road. You end up facing Lutcher in the playoffs and that's kind of how things ended. But do you have any regrets over self-reporting yourself in that 2004 season? You know, Jason, what was really funny is that in that uh, it's a great question because um, we played a jamboree. We played a jamboree prior to that. The kid was an eighth grader, and uh, his name was Alex Morris. We played him, and we slipped through the cracks. He was not even supposed to be dressed out. And how he did dress out, we really don't know where the equipment man put stuff in there. I really don't know. He, we should have been told, and that's my fault because I was the head coach. I should have been told beforehand that he kid he was he was um there's a, a rule called 465, and where a guy coming from let's say one of our parish schools or outside like St. Charles Parish could come to our school and play, but since that the school he was in, the St. James Parish, they were not in our, our, our diocese. So a St. James Parish young kid from uh, Chanel could not come to our place and be and be eligible, but he could from St. Charles Bromeo. And so there was a little mix up there in communication, but he was on the sideline dressed for the, for the jamboree. We did not catch it at the time. Uh, no one caught it. The AD didn't catch it. The principal didn't catch it. I didn't catch it. And it's my responsibility to check the eligibility list. 
okay? Even though we had people in charge of doing that. Well, we get to this ball game and we're playing Terrebonne and we're winning 43 to 12. At the end of the ball game, we're about ready to get to the knee. I turned to my son who was, uh, I said, Coach Ty, Mike, I said, did everybody get in the ball game? He said, the only one that didn't get in the ball game is Alex. Now, Alex was 87 pounds. I have that documented. He was 87 pounds. He looked like a helmet with legs. You know what I mean? And he, we ran him out there. We took a knee to say we played our whole bench was about 90 players. And all we did was take a knee, but he got on the field, lined up as a wide receiver. And all of a sudden, coming off the field afterwards, one of my coaches said, you know, Coach, I don't know if Alex was elder. I said, what? I mean, my, my chest just sunk. Uh, we had a, a great running back by the name of Terrell Fenroy. And, um, you know, you're right. We did get in, getting beat by Lutcher. We had a touchdown call back. To his day, I don't know why it was called back. It would put us up with two touchdowns with five minutes to go in the game, and uh, that's that sort of thing. And uh, Lutcher went on to win the state championship that year. So, but it was my fault, and I had to go before the committee. I had to go before the committee and state my case. And and I asked them. I asked them. I said, "Listen, please don't don't take don't give us a forfeit. Suspend me. Suspend me for or fine me for one or two games." And it was a five man committee before the LHSAA, and it did not. They just said, "No, we stay with the forfeit." So I mean that that hurt our program tremendously. And from that time on, it, it taught me a big big lesson to make sure that you. Now we have we have a, a Mary Hedell at Lutcher. I mean at, at St. Charles is still now doing it. And from uh, she was not there at that time, but now she does it. And, um, and we had a coach in charge of it to double-check all the eligibility and who's eligible, who's not, and uh, because that's something that's happened to a lot of schools. It's happened to Carr. You know, it's happened to schools before. It's happened to Katiana uh, last two years. So, um, But uh, it's, it's up to the head coach to verify all those, all those kids that are eligible. All right, Coach, and uh, thank you for that. And let's go ahead and dive into our Thanks for the memory segment where you want to talk about the 1965 Leon Gacho ball club or as you mentioned also known as reserve high school exactly at uh, you know it was known as leon gotcha high school because gotcha henderson sugar was right that not right next to our campus there uh, reserve high school was a beautiful beautiful school you know and uh, located right there in, in reserve right on the river road and actually it has caught fires it's no longer there we had a head coach by the name of joe keller who's also the louisiana athletic high school uh, uh, hall of fame uh, we had uh, emil hotel was the defense coordinator and and emil uh, the let's see uh, nemore delanaville was also the, the only three-man staff. Uh, back in those days, only 33 guys played on the team. Only 33 guys played. 1965, the Hurricane Betsy came ro- roaring through and uh, destroyed my home, uh, basically, and, and knocked the lights down on, on, the, on the field. And after, there was no air conditioning in the school anyway, so air conditioning didn't matter. Uh, but but um, uh, the team before, 1964, team that I was a junior on, that team was undefeated. We got beat in the first round of the playoffs. So this year, most of those guys had graduated graduated and this is my senior year we were undefeated also we only had one tie and i was against st paul and i want you to know that the schedule we played back then was sanamo slidell destrahan covington hammond uh, ponchatoula um uh, lutcher was the last game of the year uh lutcher game was a big big game uh people anyone that that, that remembers back in the 60s and 70s we had a big parade and the parade was about four or five, both schools. Lutcher, the game was always on a Sunday. 
Lutcher had a parade that extended maybe two or three miles, and, and the reserve did too. And I think it ended because someone threw an egg and hit someone else in, with an eye with an egg. And so, so they terminated that big parade. But it was played on a Sunday afternoon at Lutcher. And Lutcher was a class below reserve at that particular time. And, uh, and um, it was, both teams were undefeated. Playing, and it was packed. It was so crowded. There were people standing on the gym. I mean, what else did you do around those times back in the 60s but go to a football game on a Sunday afternoon? And uh, they, would, they were actually ahead of us, 7-6. We threw what they call a, a, a hitch-and-go pass. Uh, Keith conflicted to Ronald Mark. He, he, he runs it down inside, and then we throw a pass to, to um, Keith Comp for a touchdown. We end up winning the game with 50 seconds left to go in the game 12-7. Uh, then the next week, we went. We went to play uh, Redemptors High School first round. Play. We beat it. We beat Redemptors at home. So now we're still undefeated, and we're getting ready to play Morgan City for the semifinals. Back in those days, you had a, a South Louisiana Championship and a North Louisiana Championship. So we're ready, and we can't wait to play Jesuit of uh, Shreveport for the, because we heard so much about them. We could not wait to play them. Well, Morgan City was in our way. Morgan City had five losses. We went down to Morgan City. It rained the entire day. A big front came in. I mean, you couldn't even walk on the field. And we were, we were really, really flat. We, uh, we, we, we thought we were playing for a, champ- a championship the next week. We didn't, even, we didn't even give them much attention, didn't watch much film whatsoever because they had five losses. We were undefeated. Well, we got beat that night. We got beat 19 to nothing. Still in my crawl to the day that, that that undefeated team got shut out and we didn't get a chance to play for a, a championship two years in a row. So, But the guys on that football team, I remember well, we were a very young team. Not, a lot of them had not started before, and uh, we were very small compared to reserve standards because the team prior to that, was, was they were one of the bigger teams that, that they ever had ever played. The 1964 team was really, really huge. Our team was a lot smaller but a lot more efficient. But uh, uh, but thanks for all the guys that played on that football team, and some of them are, are very good friends even to the day. And and uh, uh, you know it was just one of those things that that um, that you remember for the rest of our life. Because uh, Gerald Keller was a guy that kind of kept the, all the the notes and things of, of that, and and the credit to him that he's tried to keep football. He wrote a big book on football, um, the history of football, and that's Joe Keller's nephew, and uh, remember it very very well. And that was a great memory. Uh, but I. I, I one thing I might add, that year, the, the Rose Cutoff won the state championship, and we had already defeated them 7-6. to We had already defeated the state, and they eventually went on to win the state championship. That even hurt even further. And it's never easy. When you, when you play a team and you beat them and they go on to win the state title, you know that. A few times you played Lutcher, defeated them, and they went on to win the state title. So, um, Coach, let's go ahead and move on to our final segment, our locks of the week. Let's hope that these turn out better than last week. Um, we, we were both really off of those. Um, it seems to be a, th- a, a trend that we've had. So let's, let's try to change that luck this week. Uh, who do you have? I was, I, I, I had three in a row last week. I went with Alabama and I said, you know, I'm glad it was one of those cases where you said, okay, I'm picking them, but I'm kind of hoping that they, that I, I lose this thing. I'm, I'm going to go with Baylor this week. Baylor plays Kansas state with three points. And so I'm going to give them – I'm giving the points and I'm going with Baylor. I think they're on a roll. Coach, I'm in, I'm in a pick em league, and I in, I intentionally picked Bama to, to try to put voodoo on them because I, I've been so terrible this year. I figured if I can put a little bit of bad luck on them, I could – I would try to do that. So let's try again. Um, I like Texas, um, minus seven against TCU. 
TCU has played six quarterback, six teams with hurt quarterbacks. They've looked sloppy in a lot of these games. They've been clamoring for this respect by this committee that, let's be honest, none of these polls matter until the very end. But I just I feel like TCU has been biding their time and waiting. I still think they could slip up twice by the end of the year. But I'm going to take Texas to cover and to obviously defeat TCU in that matchup. Um, but that's going to do it here for us. So let's go ahead and make sure we plug our social media before we leave. Remember to follow us on Facebook at the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the LBF Podcast. Remember, you can watch every week on Varsity Sports Now and on YouTube. And also, the podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. So that'll wrap things up for us. And can't wait till next week, Coach. We have first week of the playoffs, and we'll get to dive into some of those matchups after a week of bye for some of these top-ranked teams, and it should be a, a great show in a week. So I'm very excited for that. Well, we're looking forward to that. We have a lot to talk about. All right, so that'll wrap things up. So for Justin Thomas, for head coach Frank Monica, I am Jason Duey, and remember, Leslie Ball and Tony Lay love the good time troll. God bless everybody.